From New York, this is Democracy Now! Our near-term goals must be clear. Immediate, unrestricted and sustained humanitarian aid for besieged civilians in Gaza. Immediate and unconditional release of all hostages. And immediate and dedicated efforts to prevent the spread of violence, which is increasing the risk of spillover. As small aid convoys of trucks begin entering Gaza, the United Nations is calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire and for far more aid to be allowed into Gaza, where the death toll from Israel's 17-day bombardment has topped 5,000, including over 2,000 children. Many in Gaza say they've run out of food, water and fuel. Does it make sense that 20 trucks will be distributed to 2 million and 100,000 residents? What will each person take? This is a drop in the sea. As the United States refuses to push for a humanitarian ceasefire, we'll speak to the Gaza-born Palestinian scholar Jihad Abu Salim of the Jerusalem Fund. Then, do not use our death and our pain to bring the death and pain of other people and other families. That was the message Noy Katzman gave during the eulogy for their brother Chaim Katzman, an Israeli peace activist killed during the Hamas attack on October 7th. Noy will join us today to talk about his call for peace. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. At least 400 Palestinians have been killed in Israeli air attacks on Gaza over the past day, according to health officials. Residents of the southern city of Khan Yunis said Sunday night strikes were among the worst they've experienced. The death toll in Gaza has topped 5,000 people, with more than 14,000 wounded. Israel's intensifying assault on the besieged Palestinian territory included missile and artillery attacks on densely populated residential areas in including the Jabalia refugee camp. Israeli attacks also struck areas near Gaza's al-Shifa and al-Quds hospitals, with medical teams warning patients could be just minutes away from death due to shortages of fuel and electricity. The U.N. says at least 120 newborns in incubators, including premature babies, are at risk. This is Dr. Nasser Bulbul, head of the neonatal intensive care unit at Gaza's al-Shifa hospital. We call on everyone to send the necessary medical supplies for this critical department, or else we will face a huge catastrophe, especially if the electricity is out in these departments where there are 55 babies. We will lose all those who need electricity within five minutes. Some parents have taken to writing names on their children's bodies for fear they will die and not be able to be identified. Two convoys of up to 20 trucks carrying urgently needed aid started trickling into Gaza over the weekend through its border with Egypt. A third convoy is expected today, as humanitarian workers say much more aid is needed and much faster. On Sunday, Palestinian reporter Rashti Siraj was killed when an Israeli strike hit his home. Siraj was the co-founder of the Palestinian company— Ain Media. 
His killing comes five years after the company's co-founder, Yasser Murtaza, was killed by Israeli forces while covering Gaza's peaceful Great March of Return in 2018. At least 23 journalists have been killed since the war started on October 7th. The U.N. agency serving Palestinian refugees, UNRWA, reports at least 29 staff members have been killed in the past two weeks. Half of those were teachers. Meanwhile, leading Palestinian human rights lawyer and activist Raji Sarani and his family are said to be safe following the Israeli bombing of his home in Gaza City. You can see our interviews with Raji Sarani at democracynow.org. In the occupied West Bank, Israeli warplanes bombed a mosque in the Janine refugee camp Sunday, killing at least two people. Camp residents said the airstrike came in the dead of night without warning. Most people were asleep and some were awake when we saw a light and heard a loud explosion. We rushed to the scene where we saw killed and injured people and we moved them to the hospital. Thank God, this is what happened. Separately, Israeli forces killed five more Palestinians in raids across the occupied West Bank overnight, arresting dozens of people. Similar raids this month have killed at least 95 Palestinians, while doubling the number held in Israeli jails to more than 10,000 people. Meanwhile, Israel continued to strike Hezbollah targets inside Lebanon. Netanyahu has warned any efforts by Hezbollah to join the war would be devastating for Lebanon. Two American Israelis taken hostage on October 7th have been released by Hamas. Judith Ronan and her daughter Natalie, both from Chicago, were released by Hamas to the Red Cross Friday and returned to Israel from Gaza following a deal brokered by the government of Qatar. They're reportedly in good health. Over the weekend, a spokesperson for Hamas said the group offered to release two Israelis on humanitarian grounds, only to have Israel's government refuse the offer. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office dismissed the claim as mendacious propaganda. Israel's military says it believes 212 people are being held hostage in Gaza. Meanwhile, the Biden administration has reportedly advised Israel to delay an anticipated ground invasion of Gaza in order to allow more time for further hostage negotiations. Protests are continuing around the world. In London, 100,000 people marched to demand a ceasefire in Gaza Saturday. Today, I'm here today to show my love and my compassion for the Palestinians who are suffering in Gaza and all the innocent lives that are being lost. We've came together today. It's not about religion. It's about humanity coming together and fighting for what's right. Here in New York, multiple protests took place over the weekend in Brooklyn. Police cracked down on peaceful protesters Saturday, giving just a five-minute warning to disperse before assaulting and reportedly arresting 19 people. This is an activist speaking earlier in the day. I'm here because I'm a Jew born in Jerusalem, and I'm horrified and enraged that my government here in the U.S. is sending weapons and money and and never-ending unconditional diplomatic support for Israel as it ceaselessly slaughters Palestinians. On Friday, a group of activists from Adala Justice Project, Jewish Voice for Peace, dissenters and dream defenders occupied the D.C. office of California Congressmember Rokhana to demand he sign on to the resolution calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. This is Sandra Tamari of Adala Justice Project. Representative Khanna claims to represent progressive values 
claims to care about his constituents. His constituents include Palestinians. His constituents include Muslims. We are dying. We're dying now. And we just need him to say the word ceasefire. That's all we're asking for. Rokana's political director resigned over his refusal to sign on to the resolution as the activists sat on the floor of Khanna's office. Thousands of others marched on the National Mall to demand the U.S. back a ceasefire. This is Congressmember Ilhan Omar, one of 18 lawmakers who signed the ceasefire resolution. Even when they interview people who are living under bombardment in Gaza, they do not ask questions that address their humanity. They do not ask questions that address what is happening to their psyche as they are living through this bombardment. Ilhan Omar was standing in front of a podium that said, ceasefire now. Former Michigan Congress member Justin Amash has announced multiple members of his family have died in last week's Israeli airstrike on the St. Porphyrius Orthodox Church in Gaza. Amash posted a photo of two of his relatives, Viola and Yara, who were among the victims. Amash was the first Palestinian-American lawmaker to serve in the U.S. Congress. He was elected as a Republican in 2011, representing Michigan, but switched to independent in 2019 after backing the first impeachment of then-President Trump. Here in New York, the Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist Viet Thanh Nguyen says organizers canceled his appearance Friday after he signed an open letter condemning Israel's indiscriminate violence against Palestinians in Gaza and calling for a ceasefire. Some 900 people were expected to attend Friday's event at the 92nd and why for Nguyen's memoir about growing up as a refugee of the U.S. war on Vietnam. The cancellation came two days after Nguyen wrote on social media, quote, the Israeli government and its supporters have sought to shut down any protest of Israel, including nonviolent ones like boycott, divest and sanctions, which helps lead to the current situation where some can only see violence as a solution, unquote. 92nd NY is the former 92nd Street Y. This comes after scores of Palestinian-American activists say their scheduled appearances in TV and radio interviews have been canceled this month, while hotels and other venues have canceled events featuring Palestinians or speakers who've criticized Israel's human rights record. In Michigan— a funeral was held for Samantha Wall Sunday, the board president of a Detroit synagogue who was found stabbed to death outside her home Saturday. Forty-year-old Samantha Wall of the Isaac Agri downtown Detroit synagogue was found by police who cautioned the public to not draw any conclusions as the killing is being investigated. Wall worked in politics, including for Congressmember Alyssa Slotkin, who said Wall, quote, dedicated her short life to building understanding across faiths, bringing light in the face of darkness. Wall also worked for Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel's re-election campaign. Nessel wrote in a tribute, quote, Sam truly used her faith and activism to create a better place for everyone. In Illinois, the mother of slain six-year-old Wadia Al-Fayoum was released from the hospital over the weekend. The 32-year-old mom, Hanan Shaheen, was stabbed by her landlord, 
Joseph Zuma at least 12 times in the racist attack that claimed her son's life. The brutal attack on the Palestinian-American family came as rights groups warned that dehumanizing rhetoric around the war on Gaza is putting the lives of Muslims and Arabs in the U.S. at risk. The six-year-old Wadia was stabbed more than 20 times by his landlord. In Argentina, centrist presidential candidate Sergio Massa and far-right populist Javier Millet are headed to a runoff after neither candidate received the number of votes required to declare victory in Sunday's election. Massa took a surprising lead over Millet, who had previously secured the most support in August primary. Massa is Argentina's economy minister, a member of the Peronist ruling party, which has been widely criticized over the nation's soaring inflation and poverty. Massa addressed supporters Sunday night in Buenos Aires. I want to tell each Argentinian that I will be the president of work and security above anything else. This is my biggest commitment. Meanwhile, Malay is an admirer of former U.S. President Trump and has vowed to shutter Argentina's central bank, opposes sex education, wants to facilitate the purchase of guns, and is a climate crisis denier. He also spoke last night in Buenos Aires. All countries that embrace the ideas of liberalism progress, while those who follow populist ideas unite in misery. In Venezuela, voters took to the polls Sunday for a presidential primary election to decide who will challenge President Nicolas Maduro next year. Former Venezuelan lawmaker Maria Corina Machada quickly declared victory after preliminary results showed she received over 90 percent of the vote. Machado has vowed to privatize Venezuela's state oil industry. This was the first time Venezuela's fractured opposition coalition held a primary since at least 2012. Last week, Maduro's government and opposition leaders agreed to new rules ahead of next year's presidential general election. The moves expected to clear the way for the United States to ease its harsh sanctions on Venezuela. In Iran, two journalists who first covered the death of 22-year-old Masamini last September have been sentenced to prison. Lahe Mohammadi and Nilufar Hamadi were found guilty of collaborating with the U.S. government, conspiring against national security and propaganda against the state. They could each serve over five years in prison. They've both been held in Tehran's Evian prison for over a year. In related news, a 16-year-old girl has been declared brain-dead after she was reportedly assaulted by Iran's morale police for not wearing a headscarf. Armita Jerevand was hospitalized with brain injuries and fell into a coma after witnesses said she was beaten by officers in a Tehran subway station earlier this month. A court in Pakistan has indicted former Prime Minister Imran Khan for leaking state secrets. Khan's PTI party said he, alongside former Deputy Shah Mahmood Qureshi, were charged in a closed-door trial and that they would appeal the ruling. Imran Khan was removed from office in a no-confidence vote last year and has faced a litany of charges since. Khan has accused the military of going after him. Meanwhile, Imran Khan's main rival and three-time former Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif returned to Pakistan Saturday after a four-year self-imposed exile. Sharif hopes to make a political comeback ahead of January elections. He was convicted of corruption in 2018 and barred from running for office. But observers say he may be allowed to run thanks to a deal between the Pakistan Muslim League Party and the powerful army. 
And on Capitol Hill, Republicans dropped far-right Ohio Congressmember Jim Jordan as their nominee for House Speaker after Jordan's third vote attempt failed on the House floor Friday. In a secret ballot behind closed doors, just 86 Republicans voted to keep Jordan as their nominee. Nine Republicans have since announced plans to seek their party's nomination. All but two of the Republican candidates sought to block the certification of President Biden's 2020 election victory. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. When we come back, as the death toll in Gaza tops 5,000, we speak to the Palestinian scholar Jihad Abu Salim, who grew up in Gaza. Stay with us. <laughs> Palestinian Freedom Medley by Aya Halaf. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. The death toll from Israel's 17-day bombardment of Gaza has topped 5,000 as Israel intensifies its assault on the besieged territory. Palestinian officials say more than 2,000 children have now died in the Israeli attack. Israel's continuing to reject calls from the United Nations for a humanitarian ceasefire. While Israel's intensified its bombing campaign, it has not yet launched a full-scale ground invasion. The New York Times reports the Biden administration has advised Israel to delay a ground invasion, in part to give the U.S. more time to prepare if the war spreads across the region. On Friday, Hamas released its first two hostages, Judith and Natalie Rannan, a mother and daughter, who are dual U.S.-Israeli citizens. They were kidnapped on October 7th, during the Hamas attack on Israel that resulted in the deaths of 1,400 people. The Israeli army now says it believes 222 hostages are being held in Gaza. So far, two aid convoys have entered Gaza, and a third is on its way. But the U.N. and relief groups say far more aid is needed, not dozens of trucks but hundreds of trucks of aid, they say. In Gaza City, doctors in the neonatal section of Al-Shifa Hospital say dozens of babies could soon die if the hospital runs out of fuel. As you can see, all the babies in here are underweight and need intensive care around the clock. But we lack basic medicines like caffeine citrate and antibiotics like ampicillin and gentamicin and surfactant. We have ventilators, but now seven ventilators are not working because we don't have the right cables to operate them. We are only operating with 10 ventilators, which is a strong sign that the failure of this department is looming. 
We call on everyone to send the necessary medical supplies for this critical department, or else we will face a huge catastrophe, especially if the electricity is out in these departments where there are 55 babies. We will lose all those who need electricity within five minutes. More than half of Gaza's population has been displaced by the Israeli assault. This is an 18-year-old Palestinian named Dima Alamdani. She'd fled to southern Gaza after Israel ordered Palestinians to leave their homes in the north. Much of her family died in an Israeli airstrike in Khan Yunis, where the family had sought temporary shelter as it made its way south. I went to look for my mother, my father, and my siblings at the morgue. At first, they told me, come, see your mother. They didn't show me her face, but I recognized her from what she has on her feet. God bless her soul. I felt heartbroken. It was like a nightmare. They opened my father's coffin and had no signs of injuries, but he died. God bless his soul. I had a 16-year-old sister among the dead, and they wrote my name on her coffin since they thought it was me. Her body didn't have any signs of injuries, but maybe she died from internal injuries. They also showed me my little sister. She's in first grade, and they asked me, who is she? At first, I didn't recognize her due to all the cuts and burns on her face. Then they wrote her name on her coffin. I would have never thought that my family would end up like this. I felt heartbroken. It's a nightmare. I can't believe it until now that they're all dead. No one left. Israel has also bombed the home of Raji Sarani, the best-known human rights lawyer in Gaza City. He and his family survived the attack, his home destroyed. In a message to friends, he wrote, quote, Israel, Biden, and the West who support Israel in doing these crimes against civilians are criminals. We will have our dignity and freedom and end this criminal occupation. One day we will have these criminals accountable, he said. We begin today's show with Jihad Abu Salim, a Palestinian scholar and policy analyst from Gaza. He's the executive director of the Jerusalem Fund in Washington, D.C. Jihad, welcome back to Democracy Now! Can you lay out for us what you understand um, has taken place so far uh, in Gaza and the latest word about whether uh, Israel um, is going to engage in a ground invasion or when they will. Um, this does not preclude what they've done until now, uh, which is the intensification of airstrikes on Gaza, the death toll at 5,000 people in Gaza. Uh, the, it appears that um, Israel has uh, one plan and one plan only, and that is revenge. But revenge is not a plan. Israel is destroying Gaza. Israel has dest has destroyed most of the city of Gaza and, and many towns and villages across the Gaza Strip, home to more than one homes to more than one million Palestinians who are now displaced. Um, I think I think the important question now, that the challenge ahead of us in the United States, in Europe, around the world, is to push for ceasefire. Ceasefire now is what, what, what is needed because um, as we witness the continuation um, of killing, uh, of the destruction of the Gaza Strip, as we witness the failure of world governments to hold Israel accountable and to put a stop to this carnage, to this bloodshed, um, we are devastated, Amy. Entire families are being 
erased, wiped out uh, of, of the map and of the civil registry. So I think for us Palestinians in Gaza and beyond, and for every person of conscience around the world, the priority now should be ceasefire to protect civilian lives, to protect the dignity of people, and to prevent the situation from spinning out of control. It already did. And your response to the Israeli government and military saying they're going to de-Hamasify Gaza, that this was the worst killing of Jews, 1,400 Israelis killed, uh, including other uh, uh, nationalities um, and religions, on October 7th, um, and that if once they get rid of Hamas in Gaza, uh, Gazans can live there. Well, they're not leaving a Gaza behind for Gazans, for Palestinians in Gaza to live there. They're practically destroying, carpet bombing the entire city and other towns and villages around across the, the, the Gaza Strip. Uh, no, no one wants to see civilians hurt, regardless of who they are or where they come from or what their ethnicities or, or, or faiths or nationalities are. There is an important question that I think we need to grapple with as um, as members of, of, of this world who care about uh, about people's lives and dignity. Is there going to be a military solution on the ground? And the answer is no, it's, there isn't going to be a military solution. Whatever Israel is engaged in right now is pure revenge. It doesn't have any strategic value. And it doesn't have any, any direction. Israel is just bombing Gaza nonstop, killing as many civilians as it, as, it, uh, as it could, simply because it's being enabled by the international community. No one in the international community is asking the, the, the tough questions. Is there going to be a military solution? What will this look like? What will this mean for the region? The region is about to be engulfed in, 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 in far more violence. So I think this is a moment where we need courage, we need boldness, and we need the ability to, to confront the realities that got us to this point, that got us to this, to, to this terrible situation. Uh, as, as I'm talking to you, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about my family too. Uh, my friends receive the news, my friends who are from Gaza and abroad, they receive the news of their entire extended families killed in an instant. It, it, this, this, the, there will not be a military solution for this. And, and the, the only solution, and I'm happy to talk about this on your show today, the only path forward is to uh, face the, the, the situation with courage and ask ourselves, how did we get here? Talk about that solution that you can see at this point. I think th there has to be uh, a reassessment of the entire approach towards the Palestine question and the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, as many in the West like to describe it. Uh, I think we have witnessed decades of failure, especially by successive U.S. administrations that promised um, that they would mediate and negotiate and lead Palestinians and Israelis towards uh, just and lasting peace. But none of these promises have been fulfilled. We've witnessed nothing but cynicism, and we have witnessed nothing but continuous enabling of, of successive Israeli governments to continue with 
their policies of uprooting Palestinians, ethnically cleansing them, destroying their lives, and destroying any possibility for Palestinian statehood and independence. And I think one of the biggest U.S. failures in, in foreign policy we, ha we have just witnessed over especially this year, as we saw the U.S. administration enabling the most right-wing government in, in Israeli history, a government that included people like Smotrich and Ben Gvir, who uh, casually talked about uh, wanting to ethnically cleanse Palestinians. We heard statements by Israeli officials about the need for a second Nakba. And, we, and as Israel and, 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 it, and the Israeli settlers who were backed by the full force of the Israeli state were, uh, were attacking Palestinian communities across the West Bank, burning homes, killing people, taking over land, the United States government has given this right-wing government in Israel um, a visa waiver program that excluded Palestinian Americans, especially those from Gaza, and was pushing for uh, an Israeli-Saudi normalization in a way that empowered Netanyahu's vision that peace with the rest of the Arab world can be achieved by pa through bypassing Palestinians and ignoring their just demands. So I think there has to be a complete reconfiguration of this approach, and there has to be, and, and tough questions need to be asked. Jihad, I wanted to um, get your comment on the Israeli military informing Palestinians in Gaza that they would be identified as a partner in a terrorist organization if they didn't um, follow forced displacement orders and move south. Um, this message came in leaflets that were dropped from the sky by drones on Saturday, after Israel ordered 1.1 million residents in the northern part of Gaza to move south. Um, uh, of course, not clear um, if they could ever return. Can you talk about this? Um, let me tell you about my 88-year-old grandmother who lives in the southern part of the Gaza Strip. She's, she's frail, she's old, and she's ill. She was sleeping in her bed when an Israeli bomb hit the neighborhood where she lives. And she was injured by shrapnel and glass. My cousin, who was taking care of her, had to carry her on his shoulders and run down the stairs, run across the neighborhood as the bombs were falling, carrying a frail 88-year-old grandmother who, who witnessed more than eight or nine wars so far since she was born. Her entire life has been defined by war, by bloodshed, by aggression, by losing loved ones. So I think this entire narrative about North versus South, safe versus unsafe, is nothing, is nothing but, a, but a false narrative that I think we, 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 should, we, should, we should resist and we should not accept. Nowhere in Gaza is safe. Hundreds of people have been, have been killed and lost their lives regardless of where they reside. That's why we need a ceasefire now. And this is the, the demand by Palestinians from Gaza, uh, whether they live in northern Gaza or southern Gaza.
Jihad Abu Salim of the Jerusalem Fund uh, is in Washington as he talks to us. We have just been uh, joined on the phone by Raji Sarani, uh, who put this message out after Israel bombed his home in Gaza City. He said, by a miracle, I survived with my family, my house destroyed tonight by an Israeli bombing at 8.25 p.m. The area I'm living in Gaza City, Tal al-Hawa, was subject to bombing for almost two hours by F-16 rockets. I live with my beloved wife and son. The two longest hours and the most horrific time in my life were the three of us sure were not not going to survive and we will surely die. In any coming bomb, we hear the F-16, we hear the rocket launch roaring and the explosion, whom for 25 consecutive times thinking will take our life. Raji Sarani, we have just reached in Gaza. Can you hear us? Raji Sarani is the award-winning yes, yes, human yes, rights yes, lawyer and director of the Palestinian Center for Human Rights in Gaza. Hi, Raji. We can hear you as well. Can you tell us what happened? People all over the world uh, expressing concern as you are a renowned human rights attorney with your family not knowing what had happened. What happened? I think the world should be worried about the crimes going on against Palestinian civilians who are for the 18th consecutive day in the eye of the storm. They are the target. They are the target of the 16s, of the cannons, of the gunships. They are nine, 25 hours a day. They almost destroyed. They, they destroyed Gaza. I mean, it's unbelievable. This army targeting only civilians and civilian targets, towers, houses, hospitals, churches, mosques, schools, shelter places, ambulances, nurses, doctors, journalists. This is the most ethical army. This is the most critical army in the world. This is the mighty Israel. It's might and power targeting civilians. They are doing war crimes, crimes against humanity, persecution for 2.4 million people for the last 18 days. Unfortunately, this colonial racist West supporting them by always and means. They are supporting them with money, with guns, with airplanes, with all what they need to do this crime. They are complicit by supporting them politically and militarily and politically. It's shame this is happening in the 21st century while these war crimes, no secret in it, it's broadcasted live on air and the entire world here. And the ICC prosecutor who issued warrants against Putin because he committed war crimes against civilians, because he invaded and made occupation to Ukraine. And here we have this prolonged 
military occupation. We have prolonged blockade, which is criminal suffocated people here. We have five consecutive wars, and this is the sixth. And he is doing nothing. He's doing nothing except, you know, freezing the investigation of the war crimes committed by Israel and the Israeli army. Raji, you're talking about the... Uh, Raji, you're talking about the International Criminal Court prosecutor, Karim Khan? Yes. Yes. He's complicit. He's selectively dealing with Rome statutes, with the investigation, and he's politicizing International Criminal Court. Shame on him. He didn't say one statement since day one, till this moment. He should be the backbone of the victims who are suffering in this part of the world. And he sees that, and he knows that, and he received reports about that, and he's doing nothing. So you, and Mr. Biden, I'm saying to him, you are complicit. You are part of these crimes because you are allowing, with your arms, civilians to be targeted and killed. We have almost 1,200 people for almost two weeks under the wreckage and under the, the destroyed houses, unable to be recovered. We have 67 families deleted, don't exist anymore, because 20, 25, 30 of them has been killed in one second. We have churches targeted, and people died in it. We have most people sheltered in it, and, and, and they were killed. Why you are allowing this to happen? Why you are seeing, watching, supporting Israel? Is there a right of defense, or it should be protecting civilians at the time of war? IHL, International Humanitarian Law and the Human Rights, Rome Statutes, it's there. Raji. Simply, Amy, to Raji. protect civilians at the time of war. And nobody protecting us. We are the target of the Israeli army. They want to evict Gaza and they create a new Nakba. They don't want anybody in Gaza. They want us to leave. We are not leaving. We are the stones of the valley. We have been here since ever, and we will continue forever. We will not be part of the Israeli plan to evacuate Gaza. Raji, if you can tell us what happened uh, to your own family, when was your house bombed? Um, and were you dug out from the rubble? I'm living in a Rimal area, the nicest place in Gaza. I have my own villa, and it's nice with very nice garden. It's two stories building. It's me and my wife, Amal, and my son, Basil. And uh, we were, like everybody, I mean, you know, at our home, you know, watching what's going on. And uh, out of the blue, the bombing began. 
began in our area. Nothing special, nothing unique, nothing consists danger. Otherwise, my sense will tell me, I mean, you know, I have to leave. Or I will ask my wife and son, I mean, at least to leave. But, but there is nothing, I mean, in, in, at that part. It's entirely civilian, and I can tell, and I have all the reasons, I mean, to say that. And I have, the, the, the bombing began, and, and we thought, yes, I mean, this might be one bomb here or there. Uh, but it was very close. And the second, and, and then we began to realize and feel, you know, there is something big wrong, I mean, happening. Uh, because sound getting closer, closer and closer. Uh, we were holding, I mean, we were not thinking or realizing that we are going to survive. Uh, that's not easy. And I was thinking of a lot of things I mean, in my life, uh, how I didn't, you, you know, really leave like everybody leaves. Should I leave or should I stay? Uh, uh, why we move just in that place two minutes before a rocket of F-16, uh, GBU-38 hit, and, and I felt the heat of the flame, and I saw the ball of fire. And, and every time, especially this one, I thought it's our end. And, and this was last one. I mean, when they head directly uh, to my house, and the house was literally destroyed. Lucky enough, I just moved from the place where we are staying upon the request of my son to one tiny corridor inside the house. And, and if we were where we were, we are gone. We are gone. So we waited almost half an hour, unable to speak any words, unable to do anything. And we were really, I mean, a state of human shock. And I waited till, you know, there was some arena of ambulances remotely. And that means usually the bombing stopped and they get the green line to come in. Then we began to find our way out. But it was rather mission impossible. And, and we were lucky, I mean, you know, to get out. And when we get out of the place, uh, we just moved to my brother's house, uh, which is like uh, 800 meters away from the place we are staying. This happened on the 18th, but since then till today, I can assure you one thing that the entire area of Stalin Hawa completely abolished almost. Two-thirds of it doesn't exist. This really beautiful area of Gaza doesn't exist. 
anymore. So, so we survived. We were lucky. But our neighbors, I mean, they lost 29 members. Habush family and others and others and others and others and others. Uh, we are collecting data. We are collecting information. This is unprecedented. I never ever thought in my life civilians can be the target of war. They are mad with Hamas. Hamas insulted them, insulted their intelligence, insulted their military. We can understand that. In two hours, they were able to destroy this security wall, which America, which U.S. took it as standard and many other countries, and, and, and they destroyed it in 15 minutes. And they were able to enter. And they took over 11 military strongholds of Israel. And, and they killed and captured many of them. And they get back to them in Gaza. And we can understand why they are angry with them. And they took the headquarters of Gaza commandment of the Israeli uh, military uh, army. And they arrested general, colonel, and others, and they brought them into Gaza. Israel has the right to be angry, absolutely angry, because Hamas showed their intelligence and their military capability means nothing. And they destroyed this illusion in two hours. But why? They are revenging from us. They should revenge from Hamas. Hamas is still, I can assure you, function like a Swiss watch in Gaza. And they are not affected. I can tell that. I can see that. We feel that. They are unable to minimize their uh, power. They are unable uh, to, to, to silence them. They are unable to allocate where their soldiers are, whom were taken as uh, prisoners of war. Uh, they are unable to do anything for them. That's why they are revenging from us. This is the shame on the army. I mean, there is rules of engagement between the army, between the resistance movement and any army. Uh, but why civilians are the target? This is the big question. Uh, this is shame. This is happening, I mean, to us. And I'm telling Raji, you the reason they want to. Yes. I want to ask you, um, the leaflets that were dropped this weekend on Gaza, um, addressed to residents of Gaza, reading urgent warning to the residents of Gaza, your presence north of Wadi Gaza is putting your lives at risk. Anyone who chooses not to evacuate from the north of the Gaza Strip to the south of the Gaza Strip may be identified as a partner in a terrorist organization. Um, these on leaflets, I don't know if you saw these leaflets, but you have made a decision with your family not to move south. Can you respond to what they're saying, um, that anyone uh, who chooses not to evacuate may be identified as a partner in a terrorist organization? We have been here since ever, and we will stay forever. And no power on earth 
will take me from here. We are the stones of the valley. They, they have to understand that. And even if they destroyed once and again houses on our head, even if they took our life, we are not moving anymore. Simply, we suffered from the Nakda. 75 years. They committed massacres. They killed thousands of Palestinians. They pushed us out. And now it's time for us not to do that again, at least willingly. We cannot be part of Mr. Bibi plan to evacuate Gaza. He said it from a written statement in a press conference, day one, Gazans should leave Gaza. Where to? Where to? If anybody should leave people like Mr. Bibi, not us. Enough for the occupation. We want dignity, freedom, end of this belligerent criminal occupation. Now people from south of Gaza began to come back to north in thousands because there is no safe haven in Gaza, no safe place in Gaza, and we are not going to be a tool in the hand of racist, criminal, rightist, Israeli uh, prime minister. No way. We are not going to do that. We are going to stay in Gaza. Raji Sarani, I want to thank you so much um, for taking this call. Human rights attorney, director of the Palestinian Center for Human Rights in Gaza, recipient of the Right Livelihood Award, as well as the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Award. Uh, please be safe. I know that is extremely difficult with now the death toll at 5,000. Raji has chosen to stay in Gaza City uh, near his home. Um, people should go to our interviews with Raji over these last two weeks, of course, and beyond before that. I also want to thank Jihad Abu Salim, scholar and analyst from Gaza, executive director of the Jerusalem Fund. Thank you so much both for being with us. Next up, do not use our death and our pain to bring death and pain of other people and other families. The message of Noy Katzman um, about their brother Chaim, an Israeli peace activist killed in the Hamas attack. We'll speak with Noy, as he says, not in my name, not in my brother's name. Stay with us. Final songs by Latrio Gibran. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman.
My call to my government, stop killing people. That's the message Noy Katzman recently gave during a eulogy for their brother Chaim Katzman, an Israeli peace activist who was killed during the Hamas attack October 7th that killed 1,400 people. Israel now says 222 hostages are still being held in Gaza after two were released Friday. Chaim Katzman was an academic, a peace activist, a tender of fruit trees in the Cholit Kibbutz, about a mile from Gaza. He was credited with saving the lives of three of his neighbors on October 7th. We spoke to his Seattle, Washington rabbi uh, just last week because Chaim was a graduate student at the University of Washington. We're joined now by Noy, Noy Katzman, who gave the eulogy for their brother. Noy, thank you so much for being with us from Vienna. Um, our deepest condolences to you and your family. Uh, if you can talk about Chaim, Chaim's life, and now what's being done in his name and your thoughts on what should happen right now. I think the death toll, 1,400 Israelis from October 7th, that time, and now uh, more than 5,000 Palestinians, and the number increases even as this show uh, airs. Um, you hear me? We hear you perfectly. Okay, so first of all, um, my father, my brother was, um, um, so he did many things. He was also a car mechanic. He was a DJ. He was an academic, brilliant academic. He also uh, was a gardener. He was in charge also, also of the fruit trees and also of the gardens. Lately, he, he became in charge of the gardens in uh, Cholit. And all of the things he did, he used uh, for for peace. Um, he was a DJ, so he was a DJ of. Uh, he did played almost entirely Arabic music um, for the middle for the Middle East, about Palestine, and Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt. Um, he was a gardener, and he uh, volunteered in Rahat, in the garden. Um, in uh, Rahat is a Bedouin city in the south of Israel near Be'er Sheva. Um, and he also, uh, he was, uh, he was a volunteer in Misafariata, where, uh, Palestinians are suffering from, uh, from displacement and, uh, terror from, uh, Israel, from, uh, settlers and soldiers. So he would go there and help them, protect them, and, uh, used his knowledge of the car mechanic to, to fix the 4 by 4 uh, car of the volunteers. Um, and as an academic, he, he, his research was about right wing and uh, right wing in Israel and the dangers of right wing in Israel, extreme right wing. Um, like, um, you see, this was in Rabbi Ginsburg, and then his doctorate he wrote about um, religious uh, Zionism, where it's my family that we came from. Noi. Um... Can you talk about what Israel is doing now? Um, the constant bombardment of the Gaza Strip 
forcing the dislocation of half the population and what looks like an imminent ground invasion as a response to the brutality of Hamas on October 7th. Your thoughts and what you think your brother would have felt. Um, okay, so I think the most thing that is bothering me is the lack of responsibility that uh, governments in Israel are taking for many, many years. Um, we can start it from 67 when Israel conquered Gaza Strip and, of course, didn't give the citizens any citizenship or any rights. Um, it was just a thought that, you know, Palestinians don't need rights. I mean, they don't need basic rights. They'll, they'll be happy to be under our control. Um, and sadly, um, not, don't know if sadly, but in 1987, so the uprising of the first intifada, of course, proved that to be wrong. Because uh, Palestinians are also people, just like Jews and Israelis, and they want the same things like pe people, human beings want. Um, sadly, I don't think um, Israel is taking responsibility of anything. I mean, in 2005, we got out of Gaza and we're like, okay, I mean, we just throw it. Like, like we were never connected to it and like, okay, let's just let them, like no long process um, agreement, sustainable agreement. And sadly, um, after that, the, in the 10, 15 years, Israel is doing everything to strengthen Hamas and Gaza just because it doesn't want um, a two-state solution. So it wants to divide between the Fatah and the Hamas. So, um, This, of course, failed because also the Hamas is very terrible to the, to the people in Gaza, uh, especially LGBTs and women, which always suffer from right-wing religious um, government. And at the end, it, of course, came to us because we can put Gaza behind fences or whatever, but then the right-wing extremists of Hamas killed Israelis uh, indiscriminately, uh, civilians and also my, my left my left uh, brother, who, of course, it, it very makes sense, you know, that right-wing kill right -wing, uh, left-wing people because they just don't care. They, they earn from the hate. They earn from the death. Noi, we just have about 30 seconds, and I wanted to ask you to tell us your message to the world today. Um, okay, so... What Israel is doing now is very uh, clearly not in the, it's not for the security of anyone, not the people in Israel, not the people of Gaza. Um, some people say, oh, it's um, Israel's, um, it's, it's for the good of Gaza people because we're going to destroy Hamas. Um, if it's not the case, so I think Israel should make sure all the citizens of Israel, of Gaza, should have a safe place to be and maybe kill Hamas. But I don't think it's the real reason. The real reason is just revenge and killing and destruction of the failure of Israel to protect its citizens. Noi Katzman, we're going to have to leave it there, but I thank you so much. And again, condolences on the death of your brother, Chaim, which in Hebrew means life. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks for joining us.